Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you here. I'm going to start with a story. About 100 years ago, in 1908, a man named Watkin Roberts made his way inland in India. And he walked along by himself because he had asked for help, but the authorities told him, no, you have to go by yourself if you're going to go. And so he took his donkey with him, and his donkey carried his things for him. As he walked along, he prayed and sang hymns like, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Kind of a haunting thing, just one man singing out in the wild by himself and praying with his God, going into India. One evening, as he was just walking along, suddenly a brown-skinned native flashed in front of him, stabbed the ground with a spear just inches in front of him. And he kept walking. Even as he became aware that there were many, many savages around, or savages, sorry, I don't mean that racist, but that's what the story says. Even as there were many savages around him, in, invisible to him in the uh, woods. That night, as he camped around a campfire, a very large fire, because he was afraid, obviously, he began to pray again, and he pulled out his Bible, he held it up, and he started preaching to these invisible people around him. After a while, they started putting more spears around him, and soon he had a circle of spears around him, one of them streaming with blood from the head of a pig on it. And yet, he continued to preach. Mr. Roberts went on to make the acquaintance of the Mar people. And I think we've heard of these people. They're the same people where the India Children's Choir comes from. Um, and they, so one of the people that comes from that movement is Rachunga. Rachunga is the son of Chunga, who was one of five original converts from the man named Mr. Youngman, who is the same man in the story. So Mr. Roberts went alone into the woods in India, and eventually he converted, or through his efforts, an entire tribe, or almost an entire tribe was converted. And um, a young man named Rachunga came out of that, started Bibles for the World, and he was the president of that until 2015 all because of one man following a call. When asked why he would do such a thing, he talked about his experience in the Welsh revivals, and he, did, he was inspired, and um, when he heard the words from the Bible, he said, I heard the Bible, the, I heard the Bible charge us to go and tell. And so he went. He was a chemist, and he wanted to bring medicine to the people. That was his original goal. Um, but he ended up bringing the gospel to them. This is one of many missionary stories that I've heard in my life. Um, we've probably heard lots of others. This one in particular I heard, or I saw in a movie called Beyond the Next Mountain. And it's an incredibly powerful story. It's inspiring what one man can do with the gospel. You've probably heard many other stories. Stories like Nate Saint and then how um, those wives and children went back and converted many, many people. Like Bruce Olson in his autobiography, Ruchko. So many missionary stories. And each one of these stories is moving and inspiring. It makes you want to go do something for God. They demonstrate the lives of men and women who were completely committed to serving Christ in any way they were called. And we call these missionaries. 
and we call where they go missions. And they're wonderful people. They're heroes of the Christian faith. But one of the things they did for me in hearing these many Christian missionary stories was it started to shape the way that I thought about missions. And I wonder if it did for you, too. And I'd like to look at that a little bit. What is a view of missions? For me, the unhealthy view of missions that I got is that in order to completely serve God, I have to be a missionary and I have to go somewhere, which is how I think about missions. It's ingrained in me. I have to go somewhere and I have to teach to some people there that don't know the gospel and then I need to have lots of converts. That's how I think about missions because of a lot of these stories. And that is a wonderful way of spreading the gospel. But I think an unhealthy thing happened to me in that it's the only thing that I thought of. And it came to the point where I couldn't think about living a fully fulfilled life in God unless I did something great like that or something where I had a very specific calling and made a powerful impact. And I don't think that's quite right. And so this is where the story of Noah comes in. You see, Noah was not a missionary in the way that we think about missionaries. Noah built an ark. Noah did not go to some foreign people. He stayed right where he was, and he built an ark. And so, so much so that when I received the topic to talk about Noah, I was like, well, that's kind of funny. Like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, and I wasn't quite sure where to go with that until I started to think about it more. And I've come to the conclusion that Noah has a lot to teach us about missions. And in order to understand that, we need to understand what missions are. So, going off of what Nate Coffin spoke about last evening a little bit, let's look at missions a little bit, what we mean by that. Is it fair to say that missions, that our missions are a reflection, a reflection of what God's ultimate mission is? I think we would agree with that. And what is that? God's ultimate mission is to bring salvation to and to reunite his creation back to himself. Nate talked about the building of the church, and I think that's kind of looking at it from two different angles. It's the same thing. It's bringing God's people back to himself, and eventually there will be the bride of Christ. And so, if that's the case, then our mission is to work with God in doing that. How does Noah fit into that? John Piper does an excellent way of describing this. So if you look at history, you have the fall of man, and you have in the future what we know is going to happen is that God will be reunited with his people. Jesus is going to come again and draw his people to himself. And so every event in history falls somewhere in between there, and Noah's does too. What is Noah's role? What is the work that God had for him? Well, God was about to destroy all of humanity. Um, Noah's role was to be that one righteous person to work with God and um, make so that there is still a humanity for God to be reunited with. So, as we look at Noah's role, Noah had a huge role to play in humanity. And that, so Noah's role... Um, was to work with God in bringing about God's ultimate mission, his purpose, and that role is ours as well. That is our mission. 
And so we're going to try to learn from Noah today. What did Noah do? Um, how did Noah work with God to bring about um, God's ultimate purpose, God's ultimate mission, which is to reunite himself with his people? So we're going to talk about this in choices. Noah made choices continually. Like every day he made choices. And I think we can learn from that. Um, so the first choice is to live righteously. And I did check to see, righteously is actually a word. It doesn't sound like a word, but it is a word. Um, so let's first of all recognize that Noah was in a very evil, terrible society. I have a whole list of verses that describes that. One of them, Genesis 6-5 says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every imagination was evil continually. I'm not going to read the rest because we're going to run out of time. But this was a really, really evil society. It was a corrupt society. And in the midst of that evil, people just kind of kept living. And they didn't care about the evil. It talks about it in the Gospels, how um, people just, they were, oh, I don't know how it says. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. This is not saying marriage is wrong or drinking or eating is wrong, but that's the apathy. They didn't care about the evil that was going on. They just kept doing their daily life, and they didn't care about it. And it's easy to wonder which God hated more, the evil itself or the lack of care about that evil. So I'm not going to try to compare Noah's time to us, because that's already been done lots of times. Um, but I think that we can probably think about that some um, ourselves, but what I do want to point us to is what is the only difference that is in Noah's life and the other people's life? What is the one thing that caused God to, to notice Noah? He talks about all these things, and God literally said that he is going to destroy the earth and destroy everything in it, and then he notices Noah. Does anybody know why? What does it say? That's not fair. I shouldn't have put that on there. It's because of his righteousness. Noah actually lived righteously. That's what God saw in Noah. And I believe that's why, and not because Noah lived perfectly. I just want to be clear here that Noah did not live a perfect life. We know that from the Gospels. Um, it says every man has fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and it also records the sin of Noah. So Noah was not perfect, but Noah pursued righteousness. And that set him apart from the rest of his society. And so I think if we're going to learn to work with God, like Noah, we're going to need to learn to live righteously. Not just every week, not just every day, but constantly choose to live righteously. Second Peter 2.5 calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And not only did he live righteously, but he called others to live righteously as well. Um, verse, and by the way, the story in Genesis is in chapter 6. So if you want to follow along the story of Noah, I'm not going to dissect the story of Noah because we're familiar with that. Um, but I am going to draw from it. So 
6 verse 8 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And the next verse, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So we already, we already talked about how Noah was not actually perfect. Um, but that he pursued righteousness. He cared about doing what God wanted him to do. So, I think another thing that we need to be clear here is that righteous, living righteously is not a sequential thing. It's not, we're first righteous, and then God calls us to do things. We're living righteously, and we're pursuing that as God calls us to do things. And so, if we want to be used of God, we need to make this continual choice, many times every day, to live righteously. And the second one is to accept God's instructions. In case you haven't caught on, I have a hard time multitasking, so I cannot write when I, or I cannot speak when I'm writing. It's very annoying, <laughs> but it is a thing. Choice number two that Noah made all the time through this story is to accept God's instructions. And this, I think this is my favorite part of this story because it is positively absurd what Noah had to do. Verse, or chapter 6, verse 14 says, Make thee an ark of girfwood wood, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. At this point, I'd be saying, God, God, wait, 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 hold on. I'm not a shipbuilder. And I can't build that big of a ship. Um, the biggest ships that were ever built, um, recorded other than the Ark, are the six-masted schooners. And they were about 350 feet long, I think. Does anybody know how long the Ark was? 540. 540. I have a low estimate of 450, so probably that, actually. That is enormously long. Does anybody want to guess why they stopped making these six-masted schooners? They made six of them. Six. Don't laugh at me. They made six of these, and then they stopped making them. Anybody want to guess why? Because they were terribly impractical. Imagine something that long going through waves. The whole ship snaked through the water <laughs> because it's a wooden ship. It's absurd. It doesn't make sense. And they leaked so much that they had to pump water out continually. So they stopped making them. But yet, the ark was at least 100 foot longer than these ships. And what, is, what does the Bible say that Noah said? Just something like, um, Thus did Noah, according to all God commanded him, so did he. Like, it doesn't talk about any doubting. It doesn't talk about any complaining. Just, thus did Noah. Or later it talks about, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. I find this just incredible. It, it doesn't make sense, but yet Noah did it. And he did it not just once, he did it time and time again. And so I think we need to learn from that. We need to accept the instructions that God gives us, not just once, but every time we receive instruction, whether that's where to go in our lives, whether that's how to live in our lives, um, when we receive instructions from the Bible, or as we're praying, we receive instructions, we need to follow it, even if it seems pretty radical. What an incredible testimony of obedience and of following instruction. 
Now, there's one thing that I want to talk about that I think maybe some of us feel a little bit differently than Noah. And I know that I do anyway. And it is this thing about receiving specific instructions. So we're saying, accept instructions every time. And we're saying, Noah did that because God told him, you need to build an ark, it needs to be exactly this long, exactly this wide, you need to pitch it inside and out, which by the way was, I tried to do the math, and it's like thousands of gallons of pitch, enormous task. But I think it's easy to get discouraged, because Noah received very specific instructions. And sometimes, I'm just like, I could do pretty much anything if God told me exactly what to do. But God doesn't seem to do that very often. And so I'm left wondering, okay, well, if I don't know exactly what God calls me to do, or I don't have specific instructions, what do I do with that? And so I want to I wanna speak a few thoughts to that. There's a man that I met when I was traveling. His name was Lauren. And <laughs> he decided that if he ever needed to go on the mission field, he was never going to go to somewhere where it was hot because he hated the heat. He would go up to Alaska, he would go to Canada any day. He decided he's not going to go where it's hot. And he was horrible at language. So he decided he's never going to go somewhere where he needed another language. Well, I met him in Mexico serving as a missionary there. It's really ironic because he also received specific instructions. So we know people that have received these instructions. But for those of us who have not received a specific instruction or calling, this is something that I have thought about and has been a really huge help to me. And that is that, well, first of all, let's talk about communication a little bit. God created communication, and so often it feels like God just, God's not communicating with me very well. And we don't really blame God because we don't blame God for things like that. But still, it's like, God's just not speaking to me somehow for some reason. Maybe I'm not praying hard enough. Maybe I'm not fasting. Maybe I'm not reading my Bible. But God's not really speaking to me. Let's remember that God is the creator of communication. He created the ability for us to talk to each other, for us to understand each other, for us to communicate each other. And as the creator of communication, he's also the ultimate communicator. And so if God wants to tell you something, he'll tell you. He will tell you very clearly if he wants to. And so I think sometimes we think we're not hearing it. Maybe God isn't giving us specific instructions. And we're thinking we're not hearing it, but maybe he's not giving it. So that's the first thing I want us to remember. The second thing is that if God wants me to do specific things, he will give me specific instructions. Which automatically means that if God maybe does not have specific things in mind for me, then he wants me to use some of my gifts, my skills, my talents, to choose how to serve him, to choose how to follow the instructions that he does give us. Because every one of us has instructions in the Bible. There's the Great Commission, there's love your neighbor as yourself, there's lots of commandments in the Bible, but that are a lot more general. And I think that I have learned to rest in the fact that God is the ultimate communicator, 
And if there's specific things that he wants me to learn or do or be, then he's going to make that clear to me. And until he does, I think he expects us to use some of the God-given gifts and talents that he's given us and to serve him with those. I'll use my own story a little bit. Um, a lot of you know that I went to Bald Eagle Boys Camp, and I went to Faith Builders, and I started dating. So three very, Matt groans because he knows I want to talk about being engaged in things, because that's really exciting. But those three things were really big decisions in my life. And I'm here to say that in neither one of, or in none of those, did God say, you should do this. And it's almost embarrassing to tell people that because so many people come back and they're like, oh, God made it so clear I needed to do this. And I want to be clear that I felt God with me as I made those decisions. No question about that. And looking back, I can see, oh, yes, God was with me. God was blessing me. But God allowed me to make those decisions. And I think, like, while that was kind of a... Uh, yeah, that was a really tough thing, actually, uh, for me. Looking back, I think that is part of the beauty of our relationship with God. God is willing to allow us. He wants to, he invites us to use some of our gifts, some of our talents, some of our desires even, to serve him in ways that we want to. And camp was one of those things for me. Um, I wanted to be, to live out in the woods. And... I wanted God to tell me that I should do that because we don't want to go somewhere where God doesn't want us to be, right? But God didn't do that. Ultimately, I chose to go, and God blessed that. God was there with me. And I think I can say that, or I know I can say the same for faith builders and for starting dating. I was just thinking about this thing of starting dating. Like, I have often wondered about this thing of why does God not tell me or you or whoever is wondering to ask this specific person. Like, that doesn't make sense why he wouldn't. Um, but for me, personally, God called me um, to marry. And because any vision that I saw for my future involved having a family. And that's a little awkward. God kind of calls me to get married, but doesn't ask or doesn't tell me who to get married to. What's up with that? Well, I think that's another area where God expected me to make some decisions based on a lot of different things, like, um, yeah, where God gives instructions, less specific instructions in that, in the Bible. So anyway, those are some areas in my life. I want you um, to think about that some. How is God calling you? What is God calling you to? Is it a very specific thing? Because some people God calls very specific things, gives very specific instructions that we need to um, that we need to accept, but some of us, he doesn't. And that doesn't have to be a terrible thing. I think that can be a sign of God um, giving us or inviting us to make some decisions on our own. And neither one of them is better than the other, so let's not, um, let's not make that distinction. Choice number three that Noah made is to worship. Does anybody know wrong word, Does anybody know what the first thing is that Noah did 
as he came out of the ark. The very first thing that it talks about in the Bible. He built an altar. He built an altar. That's absolutely right. And let's think about this a little bit. Noah came out of the ark, and they had just been in there for several hundred days, and so there was no food around on the earth, um, and there was no shelter around, but yet the first thing that Noah did was built an altar and sacrificed some of the food that they did have for that. Just a little side note, isn't it funny to think about maybe which race or which um, strand of animals that were sacrificed on that altar that we no longer have? <laughs> I don't know, I find that amusing, but what if we had like some other domestic cow that Noah just sacrificed or something? I don't know. Very intriguing question to me. <laughs> but that's not good off track. Um, we can be constantly reminded of two choices. We are constantly reminded to live righteously by a God given conscience. And God has a way of reminding us to follow His instructions. So these first two, to live righteously and to accept instructions, those we don't tend to forget very much because we have a conscience for this. And when we don't accept God's instructions, usually God finds a way to kind of direct us back um, to the path that he has for us. But this choice to worship that we're also supposed to make daily, hourly maybe even, this choice to worship we can easily forget because it's the one choice that God wants us to make voluntarily. Worship isn't really worship unless you do it voluntarily. Worship, the definition of worship, is to ascribe worth to, or to acknowledge the worth of. So let's look at how Noah did this. Chapter 8, verses 18 to 20, um, this is when they came out of the ark. And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth, after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an altar, an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So, like you said, came off the altar, or came off the ark, and the first thing he did was offer an altar. I think that's pretty good. I think that's a pretty good example of what worship should be. When we have something big happen in our lives, whether it's negative or positive. Our first response, our first choice, should be to worship. Too often, I think, we can follow the first two of these. We can live righteously. We can accept instructions, or at least strive to do those. And we start looking kind of good, actually. Because when you live well, and you follow instructions, God will very likely prosper you. And the temptation there is that you start looking good, and then you start thinking that these are my choices that I have made. Look at me. And that is the exact opposite of what should happen. Noah, even though Noah made these amazing choices, the first thing he did when he came off the ark is acknowledge that it was God that brought them to that place. And that is exactly what we need to do if we want to be working with God. We need to acknowledge Anything good that happens in our lives, we need to acknowledge God's hand in that. May I ask a question? Yes. How many are here tonight that saw the Noah's Ark out in Kentucky? I'm pretty sure I did. 
Don't miss that. I will do that again. Yeah. The structure. That was fascinating, the woodworker. They didn't pitch the inside and the out, though. You should talk to them about that. And how many people stood on the inside of the door to have their pictures taken? Not on the outside. They stood on the inside of the door to have their pictures taken. I don't think I did. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to point out that it was after this act of worship on Noah's behalf that God gave his second covenant, his covenant with Noah. Remember, there was a covenant with Adam, but now there's a covenant with Noah as well. And this is the covenant where he promised never to destroy the earth uh, with water and to have a rainbow in the sky. After Noah was able to acknowledge, God, this is all you. This flood, this salvation, it's all because of God. After that, God was able to establish his covenant with Noah and prosper Noah further. So, let's be thinking about these three choices. These are modeled to us uh, by Noah. We live righteously, we accept instructions, and we worship. And as we strive to do each one of those, we're not going to do them perfectly, but as we strive to do them, we will be working with God. In conclusion, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of working with God. And this is where we have the advantage over, over Noah. Noah lived many, many thousands, thousands, many, many years ago anyway. And he did not see all that we have seen as far as Bible history. He wasn't around to see Jesus um, come down on the earth and to see him crucified um, and to read about that. And we have. And so we also have the New Testament. And one of the most exciting ideas in the New Testament for me, I think, is in 1 Corinthians 3.9 where it talks about this working with God. Noah was working with God, but I don't think he understood it quite like we do today. Noah was more doing what God asked him to do. And he didn't know the future like we do. He doesn't know that God's purpose is actually to bring together or to draw his people onto himself. But we do. And so we have 1 Corinthians 3.9, and it talks about the idea of co-working with Christ. It says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. God invites us to work with him in bringing out the redemption of his creation. He wants us to work beside him to have the same end goal. You know, when I think of co-working, I think of, I think of my Jeep. Some of you know that I had a Jeep. And my dad and I used to work on that thing. And it was an ornery beast, let me tell you. I had it for a month before I went to camp. And in that month, I think the radiator went out like twice. And so Dad and I would go crawling underneath that thing and just figuring out how to work this thing out. We just worked side by side. <laughs> and this, this radiator just kept going bad. And my dad, just like this stupid radiator. God wouldn't say that. But my dad did, and I did too. And it was this like comradeship between my dad and I because we were both working for the same goal. We're trying to get this Jeep running so that I could go to camp. We worked together, side by side. We had one focus, and it was a really good bonding experience for my dad and I. Now, I'm not even going to pretend like that's an analogy for co-working with God. It's not. But I think sometimes we swing to the other side 
and we have this view that God's up here, and we're here, and we're supposed to do what God tells us, and we're not really working with God. And I think God has a, has a desire for us to see us more as working together for the same goal. That's why God gave us the vision that he has for restoring, for redeeming the earth and bringing his creation back to himself. And so I want us, I want to leave us with that. As we work with God, um, and as we continually make these choices, as Noah did, God invites us to join him in bringing his people to himself. And he wants me, and he wants you, to work with him.